This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of odontoid fractures from the spine section on orthobullets.com. An odontoid fracture is a fracture of the axis, or the cervical C2 bone, that is most commonly caused from low-energy trauma in older patients. Treatment depends on the location of the fracture within the axis and the patient's risk factors for non-union. With respect to the epidemiology of odontoid fractures, this is the most common fracture of the axis and accounts for 10 to 15% of all cervical fractures. As far as the demographics, this injury occurs in a bimodal fashion in elderly and young patients. In the elderly, this is a relatively common and often missed injury and caused by simple falls. It is associated with increased morbidity and mortality compared to younger patients with this injury. In young patients, odontoid fractures result from blunt trauma to the head, leading to cervical hyperflexion or hyperextension. With respect to pathophysiology, as far as the mechanism, displacement of an odontoid fracture may be anterior from hyperflexion or posterior from hyperextension. Anterior displacement is associated with transverse ligament failure and atlantoaxial instability. Posterior displacement is caused by direct impact from the anterior arch of the atlas during hyperextension. With respect to the biomechanics, a fracture through the base of the odontoid process severely compromises the stability of the upper cervical spine. Associated conditions include an os odontoidium, which appears like a type 2 odontoid fracture on x-ray. This was previously thought to be due to failure of fusion at the base of the odontoid. Evidence now suggests that it may represent the residuals of an old traumatic process. Treatment of an os odontoidium is observation. Now let's go over some relevant anatomy. We'll specifically talk about axis osteology, axis kinematics, occipital C1-C2 ligament instability, and blood supply. As far as axis osteology, the axis has an odontoid process, otherwise known as the dens, as well as a body. With respect to the embryology, the odontoid process develops from five ossification centers. The subdental or basilar synchondrosis is an initial cartilaginous junction between the dens and vertebral body that does not fuse until approximately six years of age. The secondary ossification center appears at approximately age three and fuses to the dens at approximately age 12. Now, moving on to axis kinematics, we'll talk specifically about the C1-C2, or atlantoaxial articulation, as well as the C2-C3 joint. The C1-C2, or atlantoaxial articulation, is a diarthrodial joint that provides 50 of 100 degrees of cervical rotation, 10 of 110 degrees of flexion slash extension, and 0 of 68 degrees of lateral bend. The C2-C3 joint participates in subaxial, that is C2 to C7, cervical motion, which provides 50 of 100 degrees of rotation, 50 of 110 degrees of flexion slash extension, and 60 of 68 degrees of lateral bend. As far as occipital C1-C2 ligament instability, this is provided by the odontoid process and its supporting ligaments, specifically the transverse ligament, the apical ligaments, and the alar ligaments. The transverse ligament limits anterior translation of the atlas. The apical ligaments limit rotation of the upper cervical spine, and the alar ligaments limit rotation of the upper cervical spine. Finally, with respect to blood supply, a vascular watershed area exists between the apex and the base of the odontoid. The apex is supplied by branches of the internal carotid artery, the base is supplied from branches of the vertebral artery, and remember that the limited blood supply in this watershed area is thought to affect healing of type 2 odontoid fractures. Now, let's talk about classification of odontoid fractures. The two to know include the Anderson and Delonzo classification, 
and the Grauer classification of type 2 odontoid fractures. The Anderson and Delanzo classification is subdivided into three types. Type 1 is an oblique avulsion fracture on the tip of the odontoid and is due to avulsion of the alar ligament. Although rare, atlanto-occipital instability should be ruled out with flexion and extension films. Type 2 odontoid fractures are fractures through the waist. They have a high non-union rate due to the interruption of the blood supply. Type 3 odontoid fractures are fractures that extend into the cancellous body of C2 and involves a variable portion of the C1-C2 joint. Moving on to the Grauer classification of type 2 odontoid fractures, this is subdivided into three subtypes, type 2A, type 2B, and type 2C. Type 2A is a non-displaced slash minimally displaced fracture with no comminution. Treatment for type 2A odontoid fractures is external immobilization. Type 2B are characterized as displaced fractures with the fracture line from the anterosuperior to the posterior inferior portion. Treatment is with an anterior odontoid screw if there is adequate bone density. Finally, type 2C is a fracture from the anteroinferior to the posterosuperior portion or with significant comminution. Treatment is with posterior stabilization. As far as the presentation of odontoid fractures, symptoms include neck pain, which is worse with motion, and dysphagia may be present when associated with a large retropharyngeal hematoma. Physical exam may reveal myelopathy, however this is very rare due to the large cross-sectional area of the spinal canal at this level. As far as imaging, recommended views on radiographs include an AP, lateral, and an open-mouth odontoid view of the cervical spine. Optional views include flexion extension radiographs, which are important to diagnose occipital cervical instability in type 1 fractures, and an os odontoidium. Keep in mind that instability is defined as an atlanto-dense interval or ADI greater than 10 millimeters. Instability is also defined as less than 13 millimeters in the space available for the cord. As far as findings on radiographs, the fracture pattern is best seen on an open-mouth odontoid view. CT is the study of choice for fracture delineation and to assess stability of the fracture pattern. A CT angiogram is required to determine the location of the vertebral artery prior to posterior instrumentation procedures, and an MRI is indicated if neurologic symptoms are present. As far as treatment, we'll go over a quick treatment overview. The treatment for an os odontoidium is observation. The treatment for a type 1 odontoid fracture is a cervical orthosis. The treatment for a type 2 odontoid fracture in a young patient is a halo if there are no risk factors for non-union and surgery if there are risk factors for non-union. The treatment for a type 2 odontoid fracture in the elderly is a cervical orthosis if the patient is not a surgical candidate and surgery if the patient is a surgical candidate. The treatment for a type 3 odontoid fracture is a cervical orthosis. So overall, as you can see, the treatment options for an odontoid fracture are non-operative and operative. Non-operative options include observation alone, a hard cervical orthosis for 6 to 12 weeks, and halo vest immobilization for 6 to 12 weeks. Observation alone is indicated for an os odontoidium, assuming there are no neurologic symptoms or instability. A hard cervical orthosis for 6 to 12 weeks is indicated for type 1 fractures, type 2 fractures in the elderly who are not surgical candidates, and type 3 fractures. In type 2 fractures in the elderly who are not surgical candidates, Union is unlikely, however, a fibrous union should provide sufficient stability except in the case of major trauma. In type 3 fractures, there is no evidence to support halo over a hard collar. As far as a halo vest immobilization for 6 to 12 weeks, this is indicated for type 2 fractures in a young patient with no risk factors for non-union. 
contraindications include elderly patients who do not tolerate a halo, as it may lead to aspiration, pneumonia, and death. Operative options include a posterior C1-C2 fusion, anterior odontoid osteosynthesis, and a transoral odontoidectomy. Posterior C1-C2 fusion is indicated for type 2 fractures with risk factors for nonunion, type 2-3 fracture nonunions, and an os odontoidium with neurologic deficits or instability. An anterior odontoid osteosynthesis is indicated for type 2 fractures with risk factors for nonunion and acceptable alignment and minimal displacement, an oblique fracture pattern perpendicular to the screw trajectory, and keep in mind that the patient body habitus must allow proper screw trajectory. As far as outcomes for an anterior odontoid osteosynthesis, this is associated with higher failure rates than posterior C1-C2 fusion. Finally, a transoral odontoidectomy is indicated for severe posterior displacement of the dens with spinal cord compression and neurologic deficits. Now, let's go over some of these surgical techniques in a bit more detail. Specifically, we'll talk about halo immobilization, C1-C2 posterior fusion techniques, anterior odontoid screw osteosynthesis, and transoral odontoidectomy. So halo immobilization can be done in children and in adults. We'll go over halo orthosis immobilization in more detail in another podcast episode. A C1-C2 posterior fusion technique is approached through a posterior midline cervical approach. As far as the stabilization technique, this can be done through sublaminar wiring techniques, that is either a Galley or Brooks technique, a posterior C1-C2 transarticular screw construct can be used, and a posterior C1 lateral mass screw and C2 pedicle screw construct can also be used. With respect to sublaminar wiring techniques, this requires a postoperative halo immobilization and is rarely used. A posterior C1-C2 transarticular screw construct is contraindicated in patients with an aberrant vertebral artery. A posterior C1 lateral mass screw and C2 pedicle screw construct is a modern screw construct that does not require postoperative halo immobilization. With respect to outcomes of a C1-C2 posterior fusion technique, a C1-C2 fusion will lead to 50% loss of neck motion. And keep in mind that higher fusion rates are seen in the elderly compared to anterior fusion. An anterior odontoid screw osteosynthesis, the approach is an anterior approach to the cervical spine. As far as the technique, keep in mind that a single screw is adequate. As far as pros and cons, this is associated with a higher failure rate than a posterior C1-C2 fusion. The advantage is preservation of atlantoaxial motion. A transoral odontoidectomy is usually combined with a posterior stabilization procedure. Now, let's finish this review session talking about some surgical complications, specifically nonunion and mortality. Nonunion has an increased risk in type 2 fractures due to the poor blood supply. Average nonunion rate is 33%, but can be up to as high as 88%. Risk factors for nonunion include greater than or equal to 6 millimeters of displacement, which has a greater than 50% nonunion rate. This is the strongest reason to opt for surgery. Other risk factors for nonunion include age over 50 years old, fracture comminution, fracture gap greater than 1 millimeter, angulations of greater than 10 degrees, delay in treatment greater than 4 days, posterior redisplacement greater than 2 millimeters, and in smokers. With respect to mortality, this is higher in non-operative treatment in the elderly, especially with halo orthosis. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic has been tested on past exams. The first question reads, Which of the following is a characteristic of odontoid fractures in children? And the choices are 1. Usually occur in the body of C2. 
two, are reduced by gentle cervical flexion, three, frequently progress to non-union, four, almost always occur at the basilar synchondrosis, and five, are commonly associated with neurologic injury. So fracture of the odontoid process in children is usually caused by a fall, motor vehicle accident, or minor trauma, and almost always occurs through the synchondrosis at the base of the dens, making answer four almost always occurs at the basilar synchondrosis the correct answer to this question. Neurologic deficits are rare in isolated odontoid fractures in children. Close reduction by neck extension and immobilization using a cast, a brace, or halo traction for six to eight weeks is usually sufficient to allow the fracture to heal. Moving on to the next question. In elderly patients with type 2 odontoid fractures, which of the following treatment modalities has the highest morbidity and mortality? And the choices are 1. Hard cervical collar, 2. Anterior screw osteosynthesis, 3. Halo vest immobilization, 4. Posterior cervical stabilization, and 5. Soft cervical orthosis. So elderly individuals with odontoid fractures experience greater rates of morbidity and mortality than younger patients with this injury. Treatment with a halo vest has been associated with increased complications in elderly patient populations and does not allow for immediate mobilization. So the correct answer to this question is three, halo vest immobilization is the treatment modality that has the highest morbidity and mortality with elderly patients with type two odontoid fractures. Tosh Jin et al. reviewed a series of odontoid fractures that are type 2, 3, and combined patterns in elderly patients to evaluate for predictors of in-hospital morbidity and mortality. In those patients treated with a halo vest, 42% died compared with 20% in the non-halo vest group. Major complications occurred in 66% of halo vest patients compared with 36% of non-halo vest patients. Smith et al. looked at operative versus non-operative treatment of isolated type 2 odontoid fractures in patients aged 80 years and more with neurologic deficit. They reviewed the records of 223 consecutive C2 fractures and concluded that type 2 odontoid fractures in the octogenarian population are associated with substantial morbidity and mortality, irrespective of management method. Moving on to the next question an 80-year-old man with a history of chronic obstructive pulmonary disease and dementia is involved in a fall from standing height, striking his forehead. He is seen in the emergency department with predominantly mechanical neck pain but no obvious neurologic deficits. Radiographs reveal a non-displaced type 2 odontoid fracture. What is the most appropriate treatment? And the choices are 1. Immobilization in a rigid cervical orthosis for 6 to 8 weeks. 2 posterior occipital cervical fusion with iliac crest bone graft, three, open reduction and internal fixation of the odontoid process with an anterior odontoid screw, four, resection of the odontoid process through a transoral approach, and five, halo skeletal fixation. So the treatment options for a type 2 odontoid fracture include halo immobilization, odontoid screw fixation, and posterior atlantoaxial arthrodesis. However, surgical care at this time without attempting non-surgical management is not warranted. Therefore, the most appropriate management at this time is immobilization in a rigid cervical orthosis for six to eight weeks, making one the correct answer to this question. Halo vest fixation can lead to high healing rates, but as we discussed is generally contraindicated in elderly patients, especially one with COPD and dementia. 
Posterior surgical fusion techniques provide high fusion rates, but do so at the expense of loss of cervical rotation and surgical complications. Resection of a non-displaced odontoid fracture without cord compression via a transoral approach is not necessary. And moving on to the last question for this topic, for a patient with a type 2 odontoid fracture, which of the following factors best predicts the development of a non-union with non-surgical management? And the choices are 1. Frontal oblique pattern, 2. Magnitude of fracture displacement, 3. Degree of posterior angulation, 4. Age, and 5. Patient history of diabetes mellitus. So all five factors have been found to be associated with non-union for type 2 odontoid fractures. Of these, initial fracture displacement of greater than 6 millimeters has the greatest association with the development of fracture non-union. So the correct answer to this question is 2. Magnitude of fracture displacement is the factor that best predicts the development of a non-union with non-surgical management for a type 2 odontoid fracture. That's all for this review about odontoid fractures. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. If you're enjoying the podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks so much, and we'll see you all tomorrow.